0: But I look back on it now and I realize that the need to actually show up day after day was such a gift because sometimes when you're building a business with no office or no location or no customers, it can be really hard to stay motivated. Whereas if you have to show up every single day, it really like pushes you because if you don't like it, then you need to grow it. You need to make it better. And I look back now and I'm I'm really grateful for that experience.
1: Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello and welcome to episode 274 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. My name is Fiona Kalaki, and today you are listening to an interview with an incredible small business owner that I was lucky enough to connect with and chat to late 2023 two. What year are we in again? And so now we are into 2023 and I'm really excited to bring you this interview. If you have started the new year with a want to really help other people through your business and really connect with your audience and do so in a just a genuine down-to-earth wonderful way, then today's interview is definitely for you. Before we get stuck into that, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on the beautiful lands on which I get to meet all of these people, and that is the Wabarong and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. All right, let's get into today's interview episode. today, it is my absolute pleasure to bring you an interview with Amelia Hicks. And Amelia Hicks is the co-founder alongside Yosa, her partner, with a business called Old Quarter Coffee Merchants. And Amelia contacted us in... Oh gosh, I'm not sure, maybe midway through 2022 and said, you know what, I really need to put myself out there. And it is one of my goals to get on a podcast and three podcasts are in mind and you are one of them. And just a really lovely down to earth, real email. We get a lot of pictures. I feel like I say that a lot. I'm not trying to boast, but I think there are just a lot of kind of agencies out there now that just pump out requests to podcast about a hundred a day. And you can tell that literally they found us on ranking and they have never listened to the podcast at all. And so it's just refreshing to see an email from somebody real who listens and has listened for a while and who is really, you know, taking on board some of the things we're saying, like putting yourself out there and getting on to podcasts. So I loved reading her email and yeah, absolutely loved chatting to Amelia today In our interview, we go through how Amelia and her partner, Yosa, created Old Quarter Coffee and why they created it, but also how they have actually spent the time to really invest in understanding and connecting with the community that is responsible for growing the the supply that they use in Old Quarter Coffee. And Amelia comes from a background in social enterprise and non-profits, and so wanted to do something with that. And it's just a beautiful story. I'll let her tell you of how it all eventuated. But I think it is a huge undertaking for anyone in Australia, really anywhere, but Australia is known for its coffee, and particularly people can get very obsessed with which brand they have, where those beans are from in the world, how they are roasted, how their coffee is filtered or brewed, or I don't know all of the terms. And so for any newcomer to come into that business is or that industry is very competitive. But to do so, getting your beans from a place in the world that is not necessarily well known at the moment yet. Here in Australia, for coffee is another thing, as well as trying to then create that whole business to be as sustainable and ethical as possible. So, if you are really hoping that 2023 is going to be your year where you do create a bit more sustainability in your business, or you look for different suppliers or manufacturers, or maybe you have great manufacturers and suppliers, but the connection that you have with them could be stronger you are going to absolutely love this chat. I think everyone is going to love this chat just because Amelia is very positive and upbeat and just engaging and so passionate about what they are doing at Old Quarter Coffee Merchants. So it was my absolute pleasure to chat to Amelia. I won't ramble on any further. Here it is, my interview with the lovely Amelia Hicks, CEO and founder of Old Quarter Coffee Merchants. Hello, Amelia. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm so excited. And I'd love to ask, because I ask everyone this, how are you feeling about life right now? Yes, life right now.
0: Well, I think I'm a little bit nostalgic. We, we just turned five, our business. Yay. And yeah, such a milestone. And I'm really trying to just sit with that because it's been a bit of a journey. So it's, yeah, it's great. Good time for reflection.
1: Yes. People often say that businesses are like children and at five, that's when you send them off to school. So (laughs) big time, whether you have a business or a child. So I think that's, that's awesome. And I love also that you, that you're actually reflecting on it. I think so often we just go through the day-to-day and they're like, oh yeah, it's been six years or three years or whatever. And we don't stop and really go, wow, that's incredible.
0: Oh my gosh. I know it is such an important practice for me. Practicing gratitude is a big thing for my mental health. And I think yeah, a practice of reflection and celebrating the small wins helps you be more in the moment. Not always easy to do in the hustle and bustle, but we lack ritual, don't we, in our lives? So I'm all about taking it where we can get it.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, I just know this is going to be a lovely conversation. <laughs> we have a saying, my nine-year-old hates it, but having him, it prompted us. We say constantly, gratitude, not attitude. <laughs> Yeah, he would hate that. <laughs> because he has such attitude sometimes and we're like, gratitude, not attitude. And I think it's also, yeah, for ourselves as well. So I, I love that. I love that. And so you are on here to talk about your five-year-old business, Old Quarter Coffee Merchants. So how, in your own words, like how did you start it? Why did you start it? And and when, well, we know it's five years ago, but yeah, how's it all going and what's it all about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I started the business with my partner Yos or Yosa as we were discussing. So we we import green coffee from Southeast Asia and we roast it, we wholesale it to other cafes, sell online and we have our own cafe. So it's a a bit of a monster, but I love it. We both were at a stage in our lives where we really wanted to start our own business and I had been working in a startup in a social enterprise. So I really felt like I wanted to do something that had a bigger purpose. And Yose and I, we both had this long history in Southeast Asia. So he, he grew up in kind of regional country Australia and traveled to Vietnam when he was 15. And I think it just blew his world open and inspired him on a really deep level the culture and the people. And then I had a sort of similar trajectory. Like I come from a, you know, like a very humble background and I traveled overseas for the first time when I was 19. I also went to Vietnam. And then when we fell in love, we also went there as the very first trip. And yeah, yeah. 10 years ago now. And so all of it, my partner, he was also falling in love with coffee and learning how to roast. And we just combined this kind of real need to I guess be doing something in the world that was bigger than ourselves and that would create impact with our love of coffee and we just wanted to give back to the people and the places that had helped shape who we are and I think there was a sense of like gosh, we have so much privilege, you know, to have been able to travel and to have been able to learn and we could do something really cool. So that's sort of the the genesis. Yeah.
1: Wow. And so how did you sit down with your partner and go, this isn't just a, hey, let's like bring back some coffee for our friends or let's kind of roast and make like people's, you know, end of year gifts. But actually let's turn this into a business. Like you said, you've got you you wholesale, you've got the coffee and then you've got a cafe as well. Those mm. aren't either well, any of those three aren't a small thing, let alone all of them together. So did you sit down and kind of go like, yes, we want to do this, but how did you decide this is going to be a business?
0: Oh my gosh. I wish I could go back and say it was all strategic and I planned it out and I did everything the right way. But as with most startups, you usually go where the opportunity is. I definitely often look at other people's businesses, like maybe they sell one product to one type of customer. And I have to say, I do envy them on day to day when I'm managing so many different parts of the business, but I really, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. How did we decide to, to do a business? I guess I was working in a startup. So I was managing or running the Australian branch of a UK based international development organization. So I think over that time, I'd really developed the confidence that, you know, no matter kind of what came my way, I could figure it out and, and solve that problem. And I, my partner is we have complementary skills and he was really going to be that person that could drive the product forward and he's really exceptional at working cross-culturally. So I don't know. I think it's it's hard to nail it but sometimes you just know that you want to do something big and you want to go all in and that was, that was definitely us. We wanted to have an import business. We wanted to bring green coffee in, but that's such a massive business and you need an immense amount of money and cash flow to to sort of make it worth it because you're bringing things in in container loads. And it was it was one of those things it happened organically, but we always had that mindset of wanting to grow wanting to reach more people, wanting to have that impact. And so every time there was kind of an opportunity, we just grabbed it and we just figured it out as we went along. So a friend of ours said, look, I know you guys want to start this coffee business. I know you're starting to import beans. I've got this this shed, this warehouse, and you could take the lease. It would be perfect. So yeah, shout out to Matt. <laughs> so we grabbed it and that was, again, everything's such a calculated risk. It seems funny now that a few hundred dollars on a lease was, was scary. But at that time we, you know, we jumped into that and then we looked around, our business is based in industrial estate and we could really see that they're much good coffee. So it was like quite a good opportunity. And we thought, well, why don't we, you know, then, then the roasting side of things, it was always a part of it, but then of course, but then why don't we actually start selling cups of coffee? Because there's a niche so then then we did that honestly it's just been like that we we started to get such good feedback on the product and ultimately we ended up running a cafe for a couple of years which was so far from our original plan and probably not exactly where we wanted to be but i wouldn't change it for the world because it gave us many things it was such a great learning opportunity yes. i could talk about that all day actually
1: yeah, I can imagine that, you know, and and lots of people say that like at the coalface, you know, like you're actually talking to people while they're having a coffee. If you run a cafe, I mean, it's like a focus group on a massive scale.
0: Oh my gosh. That is exactly what it was like. And that helped us build our confidence, but then also not just learn about our product, but also learn about our customers. You know, I apply it now still, like we, understand intimately what it's like to own and run the cafe. And so it's made us really empathetic for our biggest customers, like other people who own cafes. You just can't, that is the most intense industry, by the way, and you just cannot learn that without doing it. And then, you know, even now when we're building our online store or we're thinking about, you know, the user experience and how do people choose coffee and what overwhelms them, I always come back to that cold face you know that face-to-face experience that we have with our amazing community in Ballina so yeah I also I think that even though at the time when I was working 60 70 hours and I went from running a whole business to getting up at 4 30 and making sandwiches and running a cafe I didn't love it at the time but I look back on it now and I realise that the need to actually show up day after day was such a gift because sometimes when you're building a business with no office or no location or no customers it can be really hard to stay motivated whereas if you have to show up every single day it really like pushes you because if you don't like it then you need to grow it you need to make it better and i look back now I'm, i'm really grateful for that experience
1: Oh, I love that! Thank you so much for sharing that story. And it reminded me when you said, you know, getting up at four thirty. I used to work in cafes. That's where I first started when I was at uni. I worked in cafes, and I used to live a long way from the cafe. So even when I was in year twelve, I think I worked at this cafe. And so I'd I'd get up, yeah, at like quarter to five, drive all the way into city, get all the coffee. You know, it was like get everything ready, get everything. You know, get the get Mm -hmm. just yeah, so much stuff, and it's. I think that's been a big part of just my work ethic as well. It's like if you if you start in that space where like you have to get up early, you have to show up, people are expecting you. Yeah, I think it's it's really holds you in a good ground for the rest of your life, really.
0: Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. It's really gives you like, you have to provide service. You need to multitask. You need to problem solve. You, yeah, you develop a lot of skills. The humble, the humble hospitality jobs, they can be very important. Definitely.
1: Incredible. It's like customer service, thinking on your feet, problem solving. Like you say, there's no time. You're just like, you're in it. (laughs) It's so, yeah, it's so fun. (laughs) coffee. Coffee is a huge thing in Australia. And I actually started working in cafes in probably 1996. So a long time ago. Yeah. I was at high school still. So I've seen the coffee. It used to be that a cappuccino was like fancy. And now you have (laughs) the other things. So you have, you know, what kind of coffee do you drink and what type of bean is it and how much milk do you have milk? Do you not have milk? Is it cold, cold drip? I don't even know the terms anymore. And so (laughs) It's a huge part of our culture in Australia. And you've really invested in bringing Southeast Asian coffee to the forefront. And you talk about this a lot in your marketing, how coffee from that part of the world has been underrepresented here in Australia and maybe other parts of the West in like the local coffee scene. Why do you think that it's been underrepresented? And also, like, is it just that you, not just, but is it that Vietnam holds such a special place for you that you were so passionate about getting coffee from that part of the world and bringing it here? It's such a good question. And
0: yes, we are so lucky to have such a thriving specialty coffee scene and such a big base of people that value it on that whole nother level. So yeah, very, feel very grateful to be a part of this, this industry and very inspired by the people who work in it. We really are like following in the footsteps of people who've paved the way for specialty coffee in Australia. So I I also like do a little tip of the cap to those guys but I think you know I often say with our business you know you're always trying to identify what makes your business unique and apart from what we do it's really about first all, I mean it is about really what what do we believe and why do we do what we do but for us you know coffee has become coffee has just become the conduit for the way that we create impact. And it's 100% what you said, that we were connected to the people and the places and the culture. And I wouldn't say coffee comes second, it's 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 equal to, but it's very different to other people's coffee roasting or importing businesses, because it's not always about the people. It's not about the places, it's very much about just the quality and the variety. So we sort of do take it that one step further and, yeah, Southeast Asia is just so close to our hearts. But I think as well the reason why it hasn't been, I guess, showcased as much in the Australian market is is mostly just to do with access. There is no reason why Southeast Asian coffees can't be as high quality as the ones that you get from, you know, Africa and South America, Central America. It's just that they're at the beginning of their journey. And I've no doubt that in, you know, 10 years or 20 years that the quality of the coffee coming out of Southeast Asia will be just as good because, you know, oh, got such empathy for the life of a farmer. And I think so many of us, we know it, but we don't think about it. And it's, it's so nice to actually take a moment to give gratitude to these guys because often they'll want to improve the quality so that, uh, say a farmer will look to plant a new variety sometimes it won't produce fruit for like the cherries for five years you know so it's like very long-term investments and we just feel so privileged like so excited to be like custodians, I guess, of people's idea about Southeast Asian coffee. And it's it's something that it really drives Yos, all of our team, but, you know, he's really the head, head roaster and head of production and sourcing. You know, he, apart from his wonderful analytical personality and just drive to make things better, it's that idea that he might provide the very first taste of a Southeast Asian coffee, you know, a coffee from Laos, coffee from Vietnam to somebody. And that's kind of quite a big responsibility and something that's really motivates us to do the very best job that we can.
1: Mm. oh I love how passionate you are you're just like oozing this passion it's so nice it's like contagious to listen oh. to oh thank you so I much. always want to go back and oh you're so welcome I, I want to I actually I feel bad telling you this I don't drink coffee so I used to drink I'm oh, I get out no I'm only kidding I, I'm like, ah. I drink decaf once a week I allow myself to have a proper decaf coffee and I don't even <laughs> yeah. decaf. people are like eh, decaf and there's been cafes that I've gone into and they're like decaf like as if I'm speaking another language like <laughs> but I used to oh drink coffee. I gave it up in 2018 but I often want to go back to it I have converted a
0: few people I'm not have gonna you? lie here yes I'm I can send you some decaf though
1: definitely. oh do you do keep decaf yes absolutely Okay, hey, oh no, I'll, I'll buy it and <laughs> <I> support you. <laughs> Speaking of like, you know, everything that you were just saying about you know working so closely with the farmers and, and supporting them and 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 this big onus and responsibility on you to like bring their amazing stuff over to this country and and how much responsibility is on there. Because you've talked about like starting the business and wanting to create this ethical supply chain and even your background previously working with a social enterprise. And you did that in 2017, or you guys started in 2017, if I'm correct. Is it 2017 when you started? Yeah, yeah. And so not everyone was doing that. I mean, people aren't doing it now, but there's a lot more more pressure on people to do it now. And so what did it mean in terms of time and resource? Because I think I'd love to hear a bit about the practical parts of this, because I think a lot of people want to do this. They want to have an ethical supply chain. I work with a great woman called Belinda Humphrey, if anyone's interested in like the fashion ethical supply chain, she helps people find, you know, great fashion ethical suppliers and manufacturers. But I don't know if there are people that can help you do that in in the food part, because both a practical, the practical side of it, did you work with an agent or a specialist to help you find these farms that were, you know, treating their work as well and paying properly and all of that stuff? And then also, I know this is a really long question, how... (laughs) know for sure if you're not in the farms all the time. I mean, that's the biggest thing that people sort of find when they're getting anything produced offshore or even, you know, here in Australia as well, is knowing that people are actually being treated well the whole way along the supply chain.
0: Oh my God. I know it is. It it, it seems like just a monster task, doesn't it? I think, you know, our approach is just We just did it one step at a time. But again, like our story is really different to other roasters. So traditionally what a coffee roaster would do is they would say, excellent, I'm going to roast coffee. I'm going to get a roaster. I might set up my cafe, but I'm just going to build a relationship with a wholesaler. And they carry all of that risk. They do all of that legwork and they sell me coffees that are to my taste. And I just order as much as I want on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. And Yos and I had to, from day one, (laughs) forecast how much coffee we thought we would use in 12 months. So it was... It's been an immense learning experience and honestly it's one of those things like you don't know what you don't know and it's lucky that you don't know what you don't know because you look back at it and you think, my God, did we not make our lives so hard? I mean, not only did we not only did we need to find the farmers to work with, but then we needed to learn how to import coffee. I mean, just import export is massive. And then we, you know, obviously Yos knew how to roast, but still like, you know, scaling production, learning how to operate a cafe and also sales, all the things. It's actually mad (laughs) now that I think back on it. But as, as what we chose to do was we sourced 700 kilos of coffee from one family in Vietnam that we still work with today. I get goosebumps when I think about it because our business is built on a product that they produce. Can you even imagine? And oh, I could talk about that relationship all day longer, but you know, we just said we can only do what we can do. And through that, we sold that one product. Most people have five different coffees on offer and a blend. We sold one coffee for a year. And the next year we said, okay, what's the next relationship that we can build? And we did it like that. We never got advice, although I highly recommend leveraging other people's experience. It was just <laughs> something that we, we didn't do because I think it was just really, really close to our hearts and something that the personal relationship was everything. But yeah, if anybody is thinking of setting up an ethical product or a social enterprise It's not rocket science, you know, just figure out the impact you want to have, figure out your purpose, build a business plan and set your parameters early. I think that's, you know, every person's social enterprise is going to have a different model. And in many ways, that's the beauty of it because you don't have to do it all and you don't have to give away all of your profits and you don't have to change the world like yesterday. You just need to decide what's the little impact that you're going to make with your life or your business, and then build a plan around it. You got this guys. It's if I can bloody do it, you
1: can hundred percent do it. Oh, I love that. It's like that Arthur Ashe quote. I've often come back to this, which is now I'm going to stuff it up, but it's start where you are with what you have, do what you can kind of thing. I'm paraphrasing Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, I think that's the thing we sometimes think, oh my God, it's so difficult. And wow, seven hundred kilos. So that's huge. I guess you had this warehouse (laughs) as well.
0: Okay, seven hundred kilos is one pallet. I remember we've got a photo of you sitting on the pallet. It was just the most momentous moment. (laughs) And now you know we import from that same from the same relationship in Vietnam. We've grown together, and I think last year we were able. They were able to produce more, and we were able to buy six tons from them.
1: Oh my God. Six times. no wow. Oh my goodness. Yes.
0: I've got goosebumps all over because that's what it's all about. It's all about the long-term relationships, you know, and I, I don't know if I'm rambling now, but when it comes to the social enterprise part of things and the, the structure and the way that you do business, like, you know, some people go for certifications and I just think that that is such a good model for certain types of businesses. The difference with us was that we sort of wanted to go beyond the certifications that existed. And because we're a relatively small business in the scheme of things, and we are able and really pride ourselves on working with small scale farms and kind of growing with them, certification is pretty well unattainable for them on a financial level. And so, you know, we created eight kind of principles of of how we do business and the personal relationships and the long-term nature of them. I think that's where you can have, that's where we can have such amazing impact. You know, year on year, people's needs change and our model is designed to be very flexible and our support's designed to be really targeted and that'll be different other people's businesses again they're so easy they can probably just say oh we do this and then we plant a tree or you buy a pair of shoes and we give a pair of shoes so in some ways I'd like to go back to the start but the thing that makes us a little bit more complex is what I believe the thing that makes the the impact a lot more targeted and greater.
1: I love that you talked about those eight principles. It's almost like a checklist for working with a supplier or starting a relationship. Exactly,
0: exactly. And I just use it as an example because, you know, you need to come back to those values, those principles to help you make decisions. And, you know, they'll evolve as you learn more. But I think it's straightforward, you know, anyone can can set out how they want to create impact in the world so that ultimately so that it inspires the business owner and the team on a daily basis you know because we get the benefit like I'm so passionate about the concept that when you give you receive it's that same thing it's like yeah
1: oh no I love it and so can I ask what is your usual or ultimate coffee like what do you drink most morning? (laughs) Oh my god! You know you should never ask a coffee person this because you'll be shocked. Okay so
0: I have I have had periods of time where I do drink uh, less coffee at the moment that's not the case and I am loving it and I don't want to stop. <laughs> so I start the day with an espresso just a single espresso and then I'll usually have a filter coffee so either a V60 kind of pour over or maybe a batch brew if it's at the cafe. So that's just a coffee that's made with equipment. And then I will probably have a milk coffee. And, you know, if I feel like I might have a cold brew or <laughs> something. four coffees in a day? It's just like, it's just an occupational hazard.
1: Yes, yes. Oh, it is. <laughs> I love that. I love that you've got such variety in there. You're not like, this is exactly what I have and that's all. But I guess that's part of your business model as well is trying new things and getting other people to try different types of coffee. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, it is. It's very, it's very exciting and it changes. And yeah, you might've seen at cafes, they have like barista's breakfast. It's usually a single espresso, a flat white and a filter coffee. And
1: we're known for our intake. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. And so You've talked about your partner, Yosa, quite a bit and working with him and that's your life partner and your business partner. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of people would like to have that with their significant other. They'd like to be in business. And so I always like to ask what it's been like for you two as a couple, but also as, you know, business partnerships, like what are the pros and cons of working with a partner?
0: Mm. I honestly think that potentially not every couple is, is meant to work together, but for us, it's been the biggest gift of our lives. Honestly, I just, I remember when it's interesting that you say a lot of people would want that. I I love that. That's the attitude because I think when we, started to tell people that we were going to go into business together. I'm sure it's usually well-meaning people, but there was so much negativity and fear about, Oh God, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll never, you know, you get sick of each other and, you know, you'll just become a business relationship, but Yos is such a brilliant human being. And he, he said, it'll be what we make it, you know, it'll, it'll be, it'll be what we make it. And so I think in the early years, I don't know if we would have been able to run the business and succeed unless we had each other to lean on. Like you get to share the wins, but you also have the losses and you definitely go on that journey together, but I would not change it. I, I, I'm so, I think as well, I get really passionate about this. We've been together for 10 years. We just got engaged and. Oh, congratulations. Oh, I know. And I just love him to bits. He's very inspiring to me. And I think, you know, most people will know that it's their intimate relationship that they usually learn the most about themselves. And, you know, usually it's your children become second or or equal to that in terms of being your biggest learning. We don't have kids, so it's very much our business is our baby and it is the biggest kind of reflection on are we in a good place ourselves you know are we thriving are we leading are we inspiring and the combination of kind of getting to work with your partner and getting to build a business and both of them reflecting back on you it's not always comfortable what you see but i truly believe that it's helped me grow in so many ways and i'm definitely a different person hopefully a better person now than i was five years ago. But if anybody's thinking about it, I so recommend don't be afraid of the way that it will change your relationship. Like you definitely, you know, there'll be times when your business partners and you're not lovers and that's okay, you know, and you find ways that work for you as a couple to like carve out those special times but ultimately if you give each other the space to to work and you don't try and occupy the same space or the same role I think the the shared journey makes like any cons worth it I'm big advocate (laughs) you can tell
1: (laughs) yeah! <laughs> oh, and congratulations! Ten years in itself is huge. I think the average—I looked this up for something a while ago. The average Australian marriage lasts twelve point one years. So you guys have been together ten years. You're almost at the at the at the other end of that. Wow! It's it's only gonna honeymoon to Vietnam. Oh my gosh! Yes. Well, we actually got engaged in Vietnam. He. Oh.
0: Yes, we haven't been there. for We haven't travelled for three years and we haven't been to Vietnam for four years, so it was so exciting. And we yeah. went in September and, yeah, he, he proposed there. So, again, it's this special place for us, this special. So we got to celebrate with our farming partners there we and all of our old friends and, yeah, we're, hopefully we'll be back
1: oh, soon. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Congratulations. Yeah. And on that note, you said you haven't travelled for so long, obviously because we've had the pandemic. How did the pandemic impact your business? Because not only are people not necessarily going out and having as much coffee, I know you're in a different part of the country to us being in Melbourne, but still, you know, a lot of people were staying home, even if they weren't in, you know, quote unquote, lockdown traditional. How did it impact you've got that? And then you've also got, you know, people from overseas and, and you're importing things and there's a whole lot of like freight issues and customs issues. And yeah, how did the pandemic impact the business? Oh
0: my goodness. What a whirlwind, hey? What a whirlwind
1: we've all been through. I know. (laughs) And we're still going through. I feel like it's just the 20s are going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. It goes in cycles, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think
0: on a practical level, there were an immense amount of impacts. But for me, the biggest thing was about the psychology. And again, you know, this is the beauty of working with Yos and And having the being able to kind of lean on each other I remember when we got the news and it was just everybody remembers just so terrifying you really didn't know what was coming and I I remember just It took me a little while I wish I could say that I was one of those people that just made decisions in a day and just absolutely nailed it that wasn't me I was it took me a week or two of feeling really vulnerable my partner's great in a crisis so he just He just grabbed it and ran with it and helped to coach me through it. But I remember this sort of moment where I think it all sank in and we both realised that there were people relying on us, you know, that our farming partners at that stage and particularly in Vietnam, you know, we were their biggest customer and they, you know, the difference between us buying the coffee and not was not about, you know, would I have less money in the bank, but much more critical for their families. And we really tapped into our purpose and our reason for being because there was this real sense of determination and every entrepreneur, every business owner needs that ability to tap into certainty and that's what we did we said no no way we're gonna make this work and we we did we never closed I think we closed for one day and of course we didn't have the restrictions on our business so we were able to operate still a lot of businesses in our industry chose to close and that's something that I feel really proud of it's not that anyone else's choices were not the right ones but we pushed through and we dug deep and our staff at the time were phenomenal i forever grateful for them showing up every day but what happened from that and i know there's so many wonderful black innovative stories that came out of this but there was growth in our business because i think we just showed up for our community when they needed us And we had this really amazing flow-on effect. We were only two or three years in when that happened and so still fairly, fairly young. And we actually experienced a huge amount of growth in our cafe from that. Other parts of the business were pretty dramatically impacted and we needed to, oh gosh, beg, borrow and steal to get through. But we did. And it's been, yeah, an amazing journey. I I think, you know, there's a Warren Buffett quote and he says, you know, what is it? Oh, now I'm going to paraphrase it for you. It's like, you know, when everyone's fearful, be greedy kind of thing. And it's all about like when everybody's afraid, you be brave and you take risks and you you build your business. And then when times are greener, you are in the, you know, it's a lot easier and you can be, you can, you sort of, that resilience sort of, yeah, sets you up. So that's what we did.
1: Oh my gosh. And you're just, you're very upbeat. And, and is that the coffee or is that just, do you think you're that sort of <laughs> temperament? Like, you're, you're, like, cause I feel like you've got a very can do attitude and it sounds like your partner is also very good into problem solvings and solutions and finding the best. Like, are you both, do you feel like you both just got that temperament of like positivity?
0: Oh, yes. A hundred percent. I mean, I don't, I want to just level with people that, of course, not always. And I am the empathetic sort of emotional type and my partner is the logical type. And I think with those powers combined, we made it like when I'm down and I can't see the way and I don't know how to lead, he's there for me and vice versa. So, yeah, definitely very grateful to have like a co-founder and and partner. But one of our... (laughs) It's just interesting that you asked that because yeah, one of our values um is around optimism. Mm. And we really, yeah, we really armed and ard whether that was the right thing to do. Because I didn't want I really didn't want anyone to misunderstand that value as like a fake happiness or always feeling great or a
1: like toxic positivity kind of.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, I mean, there's a lot of research about that in our today's society. But what I have realised over time is that not everybody does believe that we can have an impact and not everybody does believe that the world can be a better place. You know, it's sort of this if you have that internal hope or you cultivate it through your practices like gratitude and all those kinds of things then you know that is a kind of a motivator so yeah i think i think that is a, a big part of of us as business owners and of all quarter in general and the cool thing is is that we find people like that you know we serve hundreds of people a day and we have no bad customers and we work with more than 20 wholesale partners and they're all phenomenal so it's the way that you know, you attract like-minded people. Gosh, that's just a brilliant thing, isn't it?
1: Yes, and I could not agree <laughs> more, honestly. I just think, you know, yeah, I grew up very much, like hope. my dad was in very much into like hope and positivity and like anything's possible. So was my mum. But my mum was more of a realist sometimes. But, yeah, and then I got all of my report cards pretty much. All of school said Fiona is a bit of a dreamer. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, well it's done me well like because I think thinking about posit- not in the toxic positivity and being real but I also feel like you know you've got to look for that hope because if you don't like my dad used to always be like what's the alternative to, to sit in like Missouri all the time and here in Australia I mean we're incredibly privileged even you and I are talking we've got you know access to technology we've got access to to time off to be able to do this podcast like we've got access to be able to choose to have a business like and so why wouldn't we be hopeful <laughs> about everything. So yeah, I think we've got to take that privilege and and appreciate it and embrace it and share it with others as well.
0: It's so deep, isn't it? I was having this conversation with with someone the other day and it's like, if all our basic needs are met, the really, the biggest single determining factor to our happiness is a sense of purpose and a sense of progress. And that's why I'm apart from the impact that we can have in the world through business. It's just very exciting to me that, you know, the private sector controls most of the world's money and us as small business people, like we can just tap into that, make a social purpose in our business and create real impact. But it, it gives us a reason for being and, it ultimately I believe, of course I'm gonna say this, but I'm very passionate about the fact that it will lead to more success. And it will get you more customers. Like knowing your why, knowing your purpose and having fulfillment, it is it's part of privilege, but you know, not everybody remembers that. And and when we can implement it into our lives and our business, and you won't look back, people do it.
1: <laughs> yes. And on that note. Can you tell us about Optimism Exchange? Because when I was looking on your website to have a look at, you know, researching before this interview, I just think this is so incredible. But I'm wondering, again, how do you set this up? Like what sort of systems and processes do you have to have in place? Or is it easy, like you've said before, you know, get on it. And when I was reading through some of the impact that you've had through Optimism Exchange, it's a huge impact on people's day-to-day life, even if from afar, you you might be like, oh, we're able to do this, like the road stuff. I don't know if you want to tell people about that, but I just found it fascinating. So I'd love to to get your feedback on like what is Optimism Exchange and then how hard or not hard was it to set up?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So our Optimism Exchange program, the name, it basically acknowledges that the farmers who we work with provide as much value to our business as we do to them. and we're really excited about that because rather than falling into the habit of thinking that we are creating all the change, it's really acknowledging the impact that the hard work of the farmers, yeah, how that adds so much value to our lives. And we've got it. our summarizing I guess brand ideas around daily happy so it just captures that that you know we get so much happiness from their product and then we also want to give back to them because of that and so we we have different projects in each of the countries that we work with and I often say that you know the thing that makes like I said the thing that makes those projects so amazing is that they're so targeted and they're different to each community we really wanted to have, We really wanted to approach it in a kind of really listening first way. So we could have easily said, okay, guys, we run these Optimism Exchange Programme. We're going to give back to your community. And, you know, we run this type of project. So we, we run a water project or we run an energy project. But instead we kind of wanted to go the extra mile and say, like, what do you actually need? And sometimes that's different for each place. So just as a quick example, so in Sumatra, they reached out to us, communities that essentially farmers were risking their lives bringing very, like 60 kilo sacks and more down steep, slippery, muddy roads on the back of their motorbikes and it's the men who do this and if men hurt themselves, the livelihoods of the family is is ruined. Like, And we were able to fundraise and donate to that project just to pave a road but... Thousands of people were impacted for the better. You know, a whole village gets access to market and to school and all these kinds of things. So it's like very targeted for that specific community. And then in most recently in Laos, you know, we realised that this community who was producing this dry natural processed coffee was because they actually had no access to clean water. And so we're raising money to build a water well for that community. It would be a lot easier and it's definitely not a bad thing to find someone who does that work so you can outsource it. You know, even Who Gives a Crap, one of our most famous social enterprises in Australia for toilet paper, they outsource their toilet building projects to NGOs. So that's 100% an easy model. But again, just because of the way we like to make our lives hard, we have, (laughs) just because those personal relationships are so important to us we have designed each project and sometimes it's a direct transfer to a family. Sometimes it's money to a co-op and in other times it is outsourcing it. It looks like we'll need to do that with the water well because we bit off too much. What's the saying? Anyway, yeah, it's too big, but yeah, systems and processes again, step-by-step, but always coming back to the values in order to make those decisions.
1: Oh, amazing. And I I love that idea of like when I read it and it's like a road, you know, it's just, it seems so simple, but it's like by just paving that, the amount of change that that happens for that community and oh, it's just awesome. And so I always like to ask kind of people, what has been the biggest thing that you're proud of from your journey in business so far?
0: Oh my gosh, I know that's such a hard question, isn't it? I am most proud of the impact we've been able to have in the lives of the farmers we work with but equally I am very proud of the culture that we've been able to build. We fell off the wagon a little bit when we did not have the culture that we wanted to have and we've really built that back up and so You know, it's just that thing, isn't it? You can't do what you need to do in the world without a solid team. So being able to focus on our team and provide opportunities in the way that we're able to, that's something I'm very inspired to do, particularly because I came from a background with limited opportunities. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how we can improve both of those things. I really hope that someone listens to this in a few years and they can see how much more impact we've been able to have.
1: Mm. Oh, I love that. And also, you know, you guys are helping so many people and, and whether that's through, you know, just having a nice coffee that they can have or through, you <laughs> know, the word- or through your team and, and other such things. Has anyone helped you both with your business or have you just sort of sparred off each other? Is there been any books or documentaries or a business coach or any or mantra that you two live by that has helped you build this business?
0: Oh my gosh, never ending learning, absorb all of the content. Yes, yeah, so many people have helped me. I'm a big believer in leveraging other people's experience and you don't need to make the same mistakes twice. Like I don't always get it wrong because I'm sure my ego gets in the way and I want to figure it out myself, but I am obviously Fiona, obsessed with your podcast, so many podcasts. How lucky are we that we live in an age where anything we pretty much want to learn, we can. I often am a little, I have to laugh before I say this, but Tony Robbins has been my biggest, um, has had the biggest impact on my life. I went to one of his seminars, Yos and I both did, and it was so profound. It won't be for everyone because he's a big gregarious and American man, but yeah, he has the strategies and tools that like I can really relate to. And then I think in terms of just the mantra, I, I wish I had some really cool quote to list right now, but I think that the thing for us is that, you know, people talk about the reasons why business fail or the reason why they maybe don't fail but don't succeed to the level that people want. And our biggest realization or biggest learning has been that it's the mindset. You know, you can blame it on cash flow, you can blame it on anything, but ultimately it's our mindset. It's what we are thinking, focusing on. And, you know, Yos and I have to check ourselves sometimes when. Well, when your relationship isn't the way you want it or your business isn't the way you want it, it's usually to do with what's happening up top, you know. So we focus on always trying to improve and I guess for me, I always ask myself, am I the best person to be running this business? And if the answer is no, then I need to go and get the skills and the personal development to make sure that I am the right person. I'm the best person to be running this business. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love that. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. And so if somebody is listening to this and they maybe have a business idea and they're like, oh my God, I'd love to chat to them about this, or they want to buy some coffee or they want to stock your coffee, how do they get in touch and kind of what's next for you and old quarter coffee merchants?
0: Oh, amazing. Okay. You can... Find us online at oldquartercoffee.com.au and grab coffee there. What's next? We we want to grow. We want to grow massively this year and we want to have more impact. So stay tuned for more Optimism Exchange programs that will be released. And if you want to get in touch, you can email us or jump on the website, but it's hello at oldquartercoffee.com.au.
1: Oh, amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time and for your passion. And yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that you've come on. And, and also thank you for, you know, sending an email because I was saying to you before we hit press play that a lot of people pitch us and I felt like yours was just so genuine and heartfelt. And I think that's also a lesson for anyone listening, you know, not necessarily to my podcast, I mean, unless you want to, but just putting yourself out there. <laughs> it's it's nerve-wracking, but like it can lead to all sorts of things. And you obviously... Go good at doing it. Oh, I love that.
0: Thank you so much for having me on, Fiona. And thanks for, yeah, I'm glad that my email cuts through. This has been such a privilege. So thank you. No,
1: thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Oh, how lovely is Amelia? Oh, my goodness. Just a lovely story, really. I mean, what a origin story when you think about it from a brand perspective just really interesting, really human, lots of points of connection there. So yeah, just such a pleasure to chat to the crew at Old Quarter Coffee Merchants. So I would love to know what you took away most from my chat today and what really stood out for you. As usual, I'm going to highlight two things that really stood out for me with my chat with Amelia Hicks from Old Quarter Coffee Merchants. And the first is really, I loved this kind of, you know, optimism exchange that they have. And the idea that you don't have to always be doing these huge things to be meaningful. She talked about, you know, raising money for the 500 meters, I think, of road to be, what would you call it, corrected, built properly so that people can safely get to school and to work. And I mean, that in itself is huge and and it's not anything small but sometimes i think when we think about oh how can our business have an impact we think of these huge things like oh i want to put through you know 12 women through university or i want to do this or i want to do that or i want to build a whole school or these sorts of things are sometimes so far away and they feel so unattainable rather than also really working with the community what do they need what will actually make a difference for them you know in their day-to-day life so i absolutely love that just thinking it doesn't always have to be this massive thing to make a massive difference you know small smaller things it's not small by any means what they did but smaller things can make just as big of an impact so i love that she talked about that and also that they just do it like you know her and her partner and the rest of the people at old merchants are really doing things to change the world and to change it with the people that they're working with it's a huge part of of their company ethos and it's something that they really live by and you can tell that through the passion in her voice today. So the second thing that really stood out, kind of goes hand in hand with that, was really, really understanding their brand values and really living up to them. The idea of, you know, daily happy and what can we do and just being really honest and real about, you know, parts in their business where maybe that wasn't necessarily working so well and what they have done to change that. And I love as well that they they obviously are, you know, she is obviously a very happy, positive kind of person, and that may be part of her, you know, just natural temperament, but that they also look to bring that happiness to their customers, to their team, to the people they work with through their marketing. I mean, even chatting to her on the podcast, I was like smiling because it's just contagious. And I love that it doesn't, it's not in that, you know, toxic positivity, but it's in a, you know, really we've been given such a gift to be able to have our own businesses. So how can we embrace that along with all of its challenges, but embrace what a gift it's been and bring that happiness to other people that are in our life, communicating with us and connecting with us through our business. So I would love to know what you heard and what really resonated for you from today's podcast episode. You can find us and send me a DM anytime at mydailybusinesscoach.com com or hello at mydailybusinesscoach.com. You can find old Quarter Coffee Merchants at oldquartercoffee.com.au and over on Instagram you can find them at Old Quarter Coffee Merchants and we'll link to those in the show notes. All of the show notes for today's episode will be able to be found over at MyDailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 274. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.